book of Romans chapter 8, book of Romans chapter 8, beginning at verses uh, 23 to 30. We've been here for a long time. We'll be here for about a week or two more. Uh, and as you can imagine, uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, such an incredible part of Scripture. It's very wise, by the way, as, as life is and, and how difficult life uh, can be. It's always great to go to the book of Romans and make sure chapter 8 is still in the Bible from time to time <laughs> because it is such a comfort. And so uh, I'll begin reading in the even-numbered verses in verse 24, if you'll pick it up nice and loud, uh, in the odd-numbered verses. Romans eight twenty-four says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? Likewise, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Next verse, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Father, we come, and as we've already seen in the Bible, right here in this chapter, in this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So, Lord, we fully expect this morning your Spirit to speak to us, You've promised us that already. The word of God is open. We seek to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim the everlasting gospel that for God so loved the world as sin-ridden, sin-tainted, sin-lost world. He didn't give up on us. He didn't flush the whole thing down the toilet. Nope, for God so loved the world that he gifted to us his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Father God, we pray for your presence today as we study this message. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. We are continuing on in our series titled, We Are On Our Way. The life of the Christian is marked by knowing that you and I are on our way to God's presence. And that is the ultimate goal. But in the meantime, look, it is by the sovereign hand of God that you are alive at this moment right now, church. It's not an accident. Oh, I just want to give up. I want to quit. You don't have that authority. You can't do that. You and I cannot quit. We cannot give up. We can get tired. Listen, we can sit down sometimes and catch our breath. But we've got to get back and get up at it because the Lord has called us into this life at this time. And uh, I've, I've often said, if Christianity hurts, you're doing it wrong. Because the Spirit of God is the one that is to be in you, doing the work and the will of God. Amen. We are called upon to be yielded. And a few things as we get into this section. And that is the reality and the origin of what we read a moment ago. You caught it, where we and nature itself groans. We groan. 
The, the true mark, one of the marks of the true believer is not only the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, but the love that we ought to have for one another, even our enemies, we are to love them. But another key factor is our groaning. We are to be groaning in this world. That doesn't mean complaining. You don't, don't say, see, I, I told you I can complain. No, it's not complaining. It's groaning, meaning I know I don't belong here. This doesn't feel right. You know what? We ought to take a field trip someday to like a mall. Because when you walk around the mall, if you know that as a Christian, the Holy Spirit's basically saying, what are we doing here? Yes. Have you noticed that? It's all fake. It's fake. Even the clothes that are being displayed are on mannequins. It's all fake. And you think they try to tell you, if you buy that suit or that dress or that jacket, boy, you're going to be somebody. Fake. I love the fact that you and I in this world, at this time, things are stripping away from our lives' comforts. And what is it revealing? It's revealing the reality and the origin of the fact that we are a bunch of groaners. We realize that we belong in heaven, that this world is not our home, and that God has for us a better reality. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship, that is our politic, or our identity, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait. And you can translate, or some uh, verses would even have... Uh, an amplified version, crave, for we crave for the Savior. We long for him. We look for him. We want him. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body. And all God's people said, yeah. how would you like to have a glorious body? Yeah. Man, now everybody who went, yes, is over the age of 45. <laughs> the young people are like, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> we know something you don't know, and you'll find out soon enough. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 13, verse 23, Numbers 13, 23, then they, this is the Israeli uh, force recon that Moses sent out, special forces, then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs, and they placed what was called, or they, the place that was called Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel had cut down there. Why do I bring that? Because they went into the promised land to spy it out, and those 12 spies, they wound up having to have two men carry the cluster of grapes just off the vine, a cluster of grapes so big that they had to take it back as evidence to Moses and to the children of Israel that the promised land that they were going to was abounding in beauty and in prosperity and in fruitfulness. And I want you to think about how the promised land for us as believers is not crossing over the Jordan the promised land is you and I entering into the very presence of God. And what Israel did by moving into the promised land was very much a type of what is in store for all those who trust in Messiah. We are going to the promised land, and that promised land is in heaven above. And uh, yet in the meantime, we are to be 
active in this world. But I love the fact that what God provides, it's over, over abundance in his goodness. And that's true for you and I right now. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about the reality of God's goodness. We're on our way. And we don't have to wait till we arrive at something to enjoy all the benefits of it. As believers now today, we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding right now. We can have the assurance of eternal life because Jesus has promised and he's faithful. And God has adopted us into his family. We can have that right now. So what we're talking about doing ultimately when we pass from this world into the next is receiving the inheritance that has been promised. And that's exciting. Church, very quickly, we saw last time, we saw this. We're on our way and we talked about the heartbeat of heaven. Every true believer has got a heartbeat for heaven. Why is that the case? The psalmist writes in Psalm 40, verse 8. By the way, this is known as a messianic psalm. It's about the Messiah. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. That's a reference to the Messiah. Read it carefully. But that's true about your life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you. And that's why your heart beats for heaven. Everything. Listen, our headlines. These are our headlines. Right? You might look, oh, let's, people are getting... This morning, people are getting up, putting on their slippers, going out to the end of their driveway to get the headlines, the Sunday morning headlines. Hey, you know what? Why waste your time? Go to church or open up your Bible. Get some real headlines. And the real headlines are these, that God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And our God has said, I have, listen, put eternity in your heart. That's in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Our heart beats with heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Oh, man, if we really believe the Bible in just that verse alone, we will walk up to the most staunch, the most articulate, the most intimidating atheist and say to them, You need to go to heaven. God is real. You know it. Stop fighting against God. Get on your knees and accept Christ. And go, go to heaven with us. Because that atheist stands there like this and they talk about, I'm so educated, I've got a PhD, I've got all these elemental P's, i got all of these things, I'm smarter than all of you guys. And you know what? Maybe they are smarter, but they're not wiser. Right. A little five-year-old from our children's ministry apologetics class can walk up to that guy and say, you need Jesus now. And that truth transcends anything that you could ever get on a scorecard or a report card, or in a diploma. The truth of God, eternity, he's put in the human heart. And your heart, if you're a true believer, beats to that rhythm of heaven. And then secondly, last time we saw in verses 24 to 25, is that we have the hope of heaven. In Psalm 27, verse 4, the psalmist writes, One thing, David said, have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. What a great pursuit. Wow. This is the pursuit of my life, King David said. This is my desire. This is what I live for. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And I always, I've always read this verse and I see, because I have a, not a normal mind. I need help. So you guys, I thank God so many of you pray for me. Keep praying. My mind is not normal, but when I see David and so many things in Scripture, when David says that, I see a reporter walking up and saying, "Um, are you talking about the temple in Jerusalem? And David would have said yes. 
Uh, but what happens if that falls down? Or what happens if you get old and die? Oh, no worries. I'm talking about the ultimate temple in heaven forever anyway. Right? Think about that. David's whole passion was the fact that, sure, I'll meet God at the temple. Sure, I'll meet God at this tabernacle or this tent. But that's just a picture. We're studying that on Wednesday nights, by the way, in the book of Hebrews. It's just a picture compared to where I'm going. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. I love that. That's pretty sure, right? Do you see any insecurity in there? Look at that. Beloved, now maybe, sort of, hopefully, you are a child of God. You are. You, you need to know that. If you don't know that, you need to know this. God's kids should not be insecure. That's, that would be child abuse. All of God's kids know that they're God's kids. Now, if you're sitting here today and you say, I don't think I'm worthy to be one of God's kids. Uh, newsflash, you're not. Neither are we. That's why we love him so much. He's a good father. But we are his children. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be like. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Watch the motivation that this breeds. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What does that mean? I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm going to tell you straight up. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. You have that as a reality? You really believe that? Honestly, if you really believe that, you won't have to have some sort of an app on your phone that keeps you away from pornography. You won't have to have some sort of an app that sets off an alarm if you're going down a path of something you ought not to be looking at. Look, if you have to do that, I guess so, then do it. But how pathetic. The truth of the matter is for you to wake up, I'm, I'm sorry, I should clarify this. I'm only talking to the Christian right now. If you're not a Christian, you should, go, you should say, give it to them, Pastor. Let him have it. <laughs> I'm talking to the Christian right now. First John's written to the Christian. You should love God. We should love God more than anything that this world can offer us. And when the world goes, ooh, look at this, we can say, forget that. What, for five minutes? No way. My God is awesome. He has saved me from so much. I am not going to give a moment to that. He's delivered me from that, and I'm going to join him with Job. Job says, I have made a covenant with God. I will not look upon a young girl. You know, Job said that. And fill in the blank. If it's a, if it's, if it's a guy for the ladies or, hey, that goes for the ladies. I will not look upon a young guy. Make a covenant with God. But the love of God is what should drive you to be pure because Christ is coming back. And the Bible says that we're going to wake up someday and we're going to be just like him. So start practicing. We can practice on one another. Church, here we are. We're in the study now. We're in verses 26 to 27. And this is the help of heaven. We've got the heartbeat, the hope, and the help of heaven. The Bible here tells us that we have a help, and it comes this way. Listen up. It's the fact that heaven is listening. Heaven. Friends, heaven is a real place. It's not a theory. It's not a dream. Jesus spoke about heaven. God spoke about heaven. The Holy Spirit testifies to heaven. All of the prophets, Moses, testify to heaven. Heaven's real. It's an actual reality. It's a real place. 
And don't think for a moment that heaven is a place where we are, it's just so mystical. We just, we're kind of ghost-like in heaven. Everything is just, you go to lean on a palm tree in heaven and you fall over because it's not really there. Oh, no, 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 listen. If there's real trees here, there's realer trees. (laughs) There's more real trees in heaven. If you think this is tangible, you ain't seen nothing yet. When you see a waterfall last week, you know, I missed you guys last week. Um, I mean, I was not here last week. I didn't miss you. I was in Yosemite watching waterfalls. And the whole time I could think about is, Lord, I can't wait for the millennium. I can't wait for Christ to return in the second coming when he establishes and reinvigorates nature. Listen, are you an environmentalist? Are you a green person? Are you a tree hugger, a whale watcher? You need Jesus today. He's going to make it all right. Your carbon footprint's not going to matter. Listen, go fly in a jet, buy a diesel. Only Jesus is going to fix what it needs to be done. He's the one that's going to do it. Every tree hugger should come to Christ and hug him first. I'm all about the environment. No, you're not. You're a hypocrite. If, you're about, if you really are about the environment, then you should embrace the one who created the environment. He knows how to fix it. He knows how to fix it. I had to get that out. It's a little personal thing. Heaven is listening. Heaven is listening. The Bible says here in verse 26, likewise the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps our weaknesses. The word weakness is all of our earthly um, drama, ailments, sicknesses, emotion, everything that involves our general humanity. And that's a lot, by the way. But the Bible here says that the Holy Spirit helps. The Holy Spirit helps us. And why is this a a help? And how is the fact that if heaven is listening, that it's a help to us? Because friends, listen, we are just now entering into a section that is very much on prayer, but mostly about the Holy Spirit's presence. Yes, it's about prayer. Yes, it's about our adoption. But yes, it is about God helping us in our time of weakness. And the funny thing about Christianity is, the weaker you are, the stronger or bigger God shows up. I love that. Our God is amazing. And uh, I I just love the fact that he doesn't need our defense. He's never asked us to defend him. Isn't that great? Basically, most of the time, he says, Jack, will you just scoot over for a minute? I got it. (laughs) But he's also going to segue regarding weaknesses because the fact is that when heaven is listening, it implies that we are to be a praying people. And I'm going to argue with you and for you today that you are a praying people. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Listen to this. John chapter 14, verse 16. John 14, 16 says, Jesus is saying, I will pray the Father, notice, and he will give you another helper or comforter, that he may may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know of him, for he dwells or... uh, But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Look at that. Jesus is saying, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to speak to the Father. And I'm going to ask the Father to send you the comforter. The word in Greek is parakletos. The one that will come alongside you. Notice, personal pronoun. It is a he. It's not an it. 
Oh, may the force be with you. Maybe with you, not with me. I'm not interested. I want God with me. Spielberg and Lucas, they can have the force. I want the Holy Spirit. He's an actual person. He's, listen, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is taught in the Bible. You say, where's that taught in the Bible? We just read it. Jesus prays to the Father to send the Holy Spirit. Right here is the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is here for our comfort against our weaknesses in spite of them. Heaven is listening. The Bible tells us in John 14 verse 26. Jesus said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I'll bring to your remembrance. How does, how does that happen? Jesus says, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit do that. Isn't it amazing? Jesus lived 33 and a quarter years on this earth. And then he went back to heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came. And from that moment on, indwelt believers and empowered them for ministry. And he's been here ever since. Working. Living. Animating your life. Leading you, guiding you, convicting you, instructing you. Isn't he amazing? Helping you. And we're going to see in a moment that the Holy Spirit joins in with Jesus and prays for you. Think about that. The Bible says wherever two or more witnesses are, the truth shall be established. And isn't it amazing that we've got Jesus enthroned in heaven above. We've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And according to the scriptures, both Jesus and the Spirit of God makes intercession for us to the Father. The witness of two is how secure your life is in Christ. And all of your weakness and my weakness does not, cannot cause you to fall from the grace of God or be ejected from heaven. It can't happen. If we stumble... The Bible says if a man stumbles, yet he shall not fall. God picks you up. He'll get you all the way through. Jesus, we, would, we don't have this. Maybe next week, I think, but uh, we don't have the verse today. But in John chapter 10, I think it's verse 28 and 29, Jesus announces that we are in his hand and we're in the Father's hand. And he says, nobody can take you out of our hands. Amen. Think of that. Heaven is listening. That word pray or to pray, prayer, it's rooted in the original Greek or the root word in Greek is proskuneo, which is the word of worship. When we pray, it's a form of worship. Listen, church family, when people decide, listen, we're going to show up at church, uh, we don't need to hurry because they're just worshiping right now. That's a sin. No, I, I don't worship God much. Do you know him? If you know him, you got to bless him. No, nobody can stop you from blessing him. You don't need a First Amendment, by the way. They could, they could abolish the First Amendment. You're still going to praise the Lord. That can't, that's impossible to stop. But here's the deal. Do you even have it within you? Oh, you know what? Uh, last, what? We're almost done. Last song. Let's go. Let's stiff God. On worship. That's serious stuff, people. 
to pray is worship. Maybe that's why when we call a prayer meeting, only maybe 100 people show up. I don't know. It's a great spiritual truth. When we worship, proskuneo. When we pray, it's a root of worship. And it honors him. He loves it. For those of us who have been parents, there's nothing more precious than when our kids come to us, especially when they're young. And when our kids come to us and they ask for our help, look, I'm old. When they come and ask for my help, it still makes me feel good. I have a little grandson right now. I won't mention his name. I'll protect the guilty. He, uh, he sees me, or Mimi. She's, Mimi Mimi's a, Lisa's a sucker for this. Um, and that is the one grandkid comes up and he says, hey, do you have any loose change in your pocket? Do you, do you have any money? He's got a little bank. He has a little electronic bank. It's, it, put, it eats money, real money. I mean, it puts it in there and he watches the number get bigger. We told him the other day, the love of money is a sin. And he went, well, what, it's amazing. We're watching him. We're trying to bite our lip from laughing. We told him, the love of money is sin, is a sin. And he goes, why? Is that great? Why? That's a great answer. That may apply to some of you here this morning. When we pray, we are to pray. The word means to express towards, notice, it's away from ourselves and to God. Are you burdened? Pray. Are you anxious? Pray. Are you depressed? Pray. Why? Because the very act of prayer takes what is on your heart and it transfers it to the presence of God. It's the giving of what concerns you to God. Are you weak? Pray. And we're guilty as a people of making prayer such a big deal. Well, you know, when you pray, you got to face in this direction. You got to be in this position. Oh, stop it. Where's that? Jesus prayed walking. Jesus prayed on his face. Jesus prayed on his knees. Jesus prayed looking up. Look, we live in Southern California. We pray probably more than most people in America because of our freeways. We have to pray with our eyes open. Driving. It means to offer toward another. It means to cry out from within and from without. It's beautiful to cry out from within that there's an internal pray sense urgency, and then there's an external one where you pray verbally and people can hear you. But we pray. We are praying people. By the way, I think God blesses a church that prays. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is the lungs of the church. Isn't that beautiful? No wonder why so many churches today are anemic and they get tired taking two steps because they have no lungs. May God bless our prayer meetings. The longest running ministry of this church happens every Friday morning in the foyer of this church. It's been going on for over 33 years, and that's our Friday morning prayer gathering. It's powerful. And I think that's when the lungs are filled up. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or helps our weaknesses, and the word help means to take hold of. Watch this, everyone. It's kind of surprising. The meaning of the word means 
that the Lord takes hold of or comes alongside, it means to take up one end of the load and to carry it. You say, I don't I was tracking with you, Pastor, until you came to that part. What do you mean he takes up one end of the load? This is pretty amazing. <laughs> it means this, that you and I have a burden, right? We have an issue, a sickness, our child, the marriage, whatever it is. And God is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is here to pick up one end of that big load. Well, what's he going to do at the other end? Ah. Uh, Good question. The other end is what he meant when he also said, take up your cross and follow me. He'll give you the strength to carry the other end. He picks up, no doubt, the heavier end. But because you and I are still in this world and are groaning, we are carrying that burden, but it's never, never so much that it crushes us. If you're being crushed today by the burdens that are in your life, it's because you are not letting the Spirit of God have the proper role in your life. You don't invite him in, you're not praying, you're not honoring God, and you're carrying the load on your own. You worry more about it, you talk more about it, you cry about it, but you're going with all of that to the wrong person. You take it to him, and he'll bear your burdens, and you'll know that it's true, and then you'll turn right around so blessed that you'll go and meet up with other people, and you'll say, hey, how can I help you? The book of Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. Heaven is listening, so why don't we speak? Of course, heaven is listening. And then the word weakness is this. Coming from weakness, it means coming from frailty. We come from weakness. We come from frailty. So to speak, our mom and our dad came from weakness and frailty, Adam and Eve. We inherited their weaknesses, ailments, diseases. The word means illnesses, infirmities, sicknesses, distress, sorrow, debilitating emotions, as well as physical sufferings. The Holy Spirit is there, and heaven is listening. I wonder if in some of our lives, the Holy Spirit, so to speak, Jesus the Son, God the Father's got his ear cupped, and he's waiting to hear when we'll cry out. Uh, I, I'm this... This is probably not good theology, but it seems like in my life, when I get too busy and I'm not praying, I always wind up stubbing my toe, and then he reminds me, oh, Lord, that hurt, oh, and he'll say, Jack, it's so great to hear from you again. (laughs) It's been days, right? So then I have to think, well, look, he's sovereign, he knows... uh, He knew I was going to stub my toe, so he capitalized on it. He's good that way. Some of you, if you can handle this, you're a servant of the Most High God. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you said, here I am, Lord, send me. And he said, all right. And maybe you're going through something right now where Billy Graham can't get there. Or Charles Stanley or Dr. David Jeremiah. Well, Both those guys are in heaven. They're not going to come back right now and help you anyway. But (laughs) Dr. David Jeremiah, love that man. He can't reach them. I can't reach them. Nobody else can reach them. But you might have this lump or this bump or this ailment or this sickness. It could be cancer. And you don't have to say, God, why me? Let's be honest. If if it wasn't for the grace of God, all of us would have cancer right now because Satan would see to it and we'd all drop dead right about now, especially the Christian, because he wants to silence the Christians. 
Satan hates Christians. You know that? And, and, and this world, this is not it. The Bible says that he, Satan, is the god of the atmosphere. That's why so much happens in our world around us. The Bible says he's like a lion out roaming around seeking whom he may devour. You know how much grace it takes for God to get you and I through one day without being consumed either by ourselves, our, our neighbor, or Satan? It's a miracle. How was your day? It was okay. No, your day was great. You made it out alive. You made it to your pillow. That's a great day. But some of you may have a cancer or, or a lump, and you go to the doctor. And little do you know that God is using your life as a ministry to tell the radiologist, hey, you know what? Before you do whatever you do, I don't get it. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And if you hear me panicking at any moment, it's not my God because he's amazing. So I'm just a mere mortal like you are. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine and he rose again from the dead. I needed you to know that before you gave me that tetanus shot in case I died. (laughs) Use it. God doesn't abandon you in the hour of weakness. He uses it. This world is riddled with sin and the ramifications of sin. God may not have caused it, but God will use it. I don't believe God caused COVID. I don't think God caused it. But God will use it. Look how many people God used COVID to wake them up and to come to Christ and to And look at the war right now in Israel. A lot of people are waking up. A lot of Muslims are waking up to the fallacy of their Islam. And a lot of Jews are waking up to the fallacy of the legalism of Judaism. And they're saying, where's the Messiah? Maybe you are Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist. And you say, well, you know what? That's good for them. Well, what about you? You're not dragging any of that stuff into the kingdom of heaven. There's not going to be a section up in heaven where all the Presbyterians are sitting. (laughs) They might think so, but it's not there. We all come the same. We have to be born again by the Spirit of God. Verse 26 goes on to say, For we do not know, this is awesome, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Can you please circle that? I want everyone to circle that. Please mark that down. You want to know why? Because so many people will say things like, I prayed about it. I prayed about that. I I prayed. So wait, who's that you're engaged to? That guy right there. Yeah, you sure? I prayed about it. Well, I'm going to take that job. You sure? I prayed about it. That should not be the answer. The answer should be, at least twofold. I prayed about it, and God showed me this in the Word. Heaven is listening. Heaven listens when we pray. But when we cover stuff up by saying, Well, I prayed about it, and I don't know why this happened. Oh, I understand. You prayed, here's what you really did. You wanted that thing so bad, but you knew down inside you need to Christianize it. So you threw a prayer on top of it and said, it's good now. Right? And um, it doesn't work that way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter 1, 6. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Can someone say amen? Are we not grieved by various trials? Yes, we are. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. That's amazing. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. When we pray, we don't, we don't always know how we ought to pray, but we know this, that in the midst of difficulty, trials, and hardships, God is working out increased faith in us. There's no other way, friends. Christian, listen, and if you brought your friend, let's be honest, if you brought your friend today and you're hoping, oh, I hope they accept the Lord today, hope they accept the Lord, let me tell your friend something. Christian, if you want it easy for now, short term, don't become a Christian. Uh, let's be honest, everybody. Remember when we were in the world... It was easy. We did whatever we wanted. Unfortunately, the bill came due later. And then we woke up to reality. And that reality was death. And that forced us in our crisis to come to Christ, to Jesus. And now that we're a Christian, we don't feel at home. We may be wearing clothes. We may be driving a car. We might be living in some home. But we just feel out of sorts. We confess far too many times, perhaps, maybe not enough, I don't know, but our minds are somewhere else. Were you listening? Yeah. Actually, no, I was just thinking about heaven right now. What's going on, you know? Why do we not talk about heaven more? I don't know why we don't talk about it more. It's where we're going. We need to discuss it more often. What does the Bible say about animals in heaven? What does the Bible say about what we'll look like in heaven? What does the Bible say how long is heaven? What does the city of God look like? In heaven. What's it going to be like when the house of God comes down and descends upon the new earth? What's that going to be like? And what about those rivers that are referred to in scripture? And what about those 12 trees that bear fruit, one in its, each in its own season? You ever think about heaven where you're going to, hey, I can't wait for next month. Those apples are going to be, well, wait, not apple. Let's think something else. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't worry, you can eat apples in heaven. It won't be the... It won't be... Well, we don't even know if Eve ate an apple. It had to be tempting, so I think it was an avocado, personally. But we don't know how we ought to pray always. We need to be careful about how we talk Christianese about things like that. Well, I prayed about it. I prayed. Listen, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth is removed and though the, mount, uh, the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling... The word selah means meditate. Now, stop and meditate. And it implies... Pray on these things. Pray Psalm 46 into your life. We do not know how we ought to pray about everything, church. We don't know. We are finite. We don't see it all. 
And listen, this is why, and I mean, I mean this with love and respect, but it's, it's wrong. When somebody comes up and says, I was praying and God told me to tell you that this is what you should do with your life. That is so not good. Number one, it implies that God's not talking to me or that I'm not praying or that I don't belong to him. And it also implies that the one meter between man and God is Christ Jesus and you. And that's not true. That's not going to happen. When we pray, listen, we don't know how we ought to pray all the time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We know we're supposed to do that. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So come boldly. But notice, based on the word of God, here's a bonus verse. It's not in the notes. Are you ready? It's John 15, verse 7. If my word abides in you, you may ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you, for herein is my Father glorified. The key to answered prayer is praying the Bible. Pray the Bible. Psalm 103, verse 13. The psalmist writes, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How beautiful is that? We don't know what we're doing. I told you guys years before, uh, years ago, and nothing's changed. Years ago, when we were trying to expand the warehouse building, we, we needed a loan. We thought we needed a loan. Turned out to be fine. But in the interview for the loan, the bank asked us, so are you the pastor? Yes. Well, what is your 10 to 15 year plan? That's what they asked. Now, if I was going to go there with a business plan, I would have had the answer. If I would have gone there in any other capacity, I would have had the answer. But I went there as a pastor. And I went to a Christian bank. Hmm. And they said, what's your 10 to 15 year plan? And I said, what's your 10 to 15 year plan? <laughs> what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, I'm going to occupy till he comes. But I'm hoping he comes today. So my plan is in three weeks is to be in heaven. And if that doesn't happen, then I'll have to wait for the next week. And then the next week after that until we reach the 10 or 15th year. That's my 15-year plan. Right? But then, then God wound up just, he said, I'll, I'll take it from here. <laughs> He's so good. But you know, we can pray wrong, people. We can pray wrong. We don't know how we ought to always Pray, and in James chapter 4, verse 1, James 4, 1, hang on. For where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? Isn't that amazing? He's talking to believers. Why do you get in trouble? How, why, how did you crash your spiritual car into that guardrail? Because God was telling you to go left and you wanted to go right. You lust and you do not have. You murder. He doesn't mean you go out murdering people. It's hate. You hate and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Isn't that amazing? Look at all the stuff we go through just because we don't stop and pray. Hey, wives, listen. Are there any wives in here? Raise your hand if you're a wife. Okay, wait. So there's about 20 wives in the church of... There's like 3,000 people in here, and there's 20 wives. What's going on here? I'm going to ask again. Are there any wives in here? There you are. Tired, that's what it is. 
Think about how much grief and burden there is on, on the life of, of a wife today. It's not only hard, but the world is against you. And God forbid if you get pregnant. Oh my goodness, the world has come to an end. I had a meeting this week and one of the, I'll, I won't name names, of course I can't do this, but one of the uh, people I had in a meeting was somebody who's uh, started coming to this church and got very tight with Jesus during the, the COVID era. And uh, this person was in Hollywood and an actress and she was just selected for this very, very big star role. And, but she's coming here during COVID. And she's, she'd always considered herself a Christian, but then she realized during COVID, wait a minute, do I even know the Bible? And they said, you got the, you got the spot, you got the role. And then four days later, she found out she was pregnant. And what do you think Hollywood's response was to the news that she's pregnant? Oh, <laughs> don't worry about that. Here, you can call my doctor. He'll take care of that. And she said, the Holy Spirit said to her, Nope, you're not going to take this role. You're going to give birth to this baby. You are going to be a mother to this child. And she did it. Think about that. And by the way, that show went on to be a very big deal. But she chose what God, in his discipleship making, chose her, encouraged her to do. But notice this, he says in James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Oh God, if I just win the lotto, you know I'll give you 10%. (laughs) Yeah. William Barclay, and I'll quote him in his book, he's actually quoting a quote, William Barclay writes this, from history, we learn that Xenophon of Athens wrote that Socrates taught his disciples simply to pray for good things and do not attempt to be so specific or specify, but leave God to decide what the best things are. I think that's pretty cool. I have to tell you, everyone, and I'm very, very happy Uh, to say that people are always stopping and asking, how can I pray for you, Pastor Jack? How can I pray for you? And my answer may sound glib, but uh, I'm deadly serious about it. It's always the same answer. Pray for God's favor in my life. Do you understand that? That's the greatest prayer request you can pray, and that's the greatest thing you can pray for somebody. Pray for God's favor in their life. Why? God's favor is another way of saying for God's grace in their life. Why? Because grace covers everything. Grace opens doors. Grace closes doors. Grace blesses your health. Grace blesses your relationships. Everything. Pray for God's favor. That's what you want to do. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus said, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And there's always some smart aleck who says, well, then why should I ask? Because God has put it in here, you're not going to have it until you ask. You say, yeah, but he already knows. Yeah, but you don't. You don't know. Yes, I do. I'm praying for this. And you're probably praying wrong. Pray, ask, and you, listen, God will answer. 
See, that's the thing. You're afraid of the answer because could it be? It can't be God. Why? What did he say? He said, wait. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably him. God says yes. God says no. God says wait. Sometimes, maybe, you've been praying, but you don't know the God of prayer, and you hear nothing. Maybe it's silent. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins or your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Did you know that God is not listening when sin separates? Have you ever had a dropped call? In the Christian life, we can have a spiritual dropped call when we're praying to God, but there's sin in our life. We're biting the cat or beating up on the dog, and we're all grumpy and all this stuff, and we're just this Christian whatever, and then we pray to God, and we wonder why nothing's happening. Why should God answer? What he's waiting to hear from you is, I repent. I repent from biting the dog, God. I repent from being mean to my husband or my wife or my brother or my sister. We need to repent. Listen, repentance for the non-believer keeps them out of heaven. They don't repent, they don't go to heaven. But for the believer, repentance, when we do not repent, it cuts off conversation. We're still going to heaven, but God's not talking right now. It's like your kid right now. Imagine your kid doing something bad. You come home today and you, you should have taken your kid to junior high, but you didn't do it. You said, okay, you can stay home. And you come home today and, they, and you pull up in your driveway. They painted your garage door purple. And you said, what are you doing? Go to your room. And they go to, the, they go to their room. And then two minutes later, they come out and they say, mom, dad, um, can I tell you guys about, I found this awesome thing online. I'd like to get this for Christmas. You think mom and dad are going to sit down and talk to them about Christmas gifts? They're going to say, get to your room. Same thing as with us as Christians. If there's sin, if we've painted the garage door purple, if we've sinned against one another or against God, we're not aborted. He just says, "Mm -mm -mm -mm." we're not talking right now. You got to settle this. And then you come back. You leave your gift here. You go and deal with that with your friend, your family, whatever it is, or maybe you just sinned against God. God says, don't you dare sing me this song. I don't want to hear that. You, this, that, that, that's what's going on, and you need to talk to him. You need to say, Lord, I am so sorry that I've offended you and that I've hurt you, and I repent of that, Lord. And what what happens? God scoops you up in that moment. And you know when he does it, because he's so good at it, you feel like a real nincompoop when he, you're just like, oh man, why did I ever do that? That's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He's so good. Heaven is listening. You know, heaven is listening because that door was opened up for us. And I don't know, look, you guys, you're going to have to indulge me for a moment. I apologize in advance, but... Um, this is how I see this, is when we don't know how we ought to pray always because we're so limited and finite, I'm immediately aware of the fact that Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says to us that God's eyes are too pure to behold evil. Did you know that? That's why you and I need a mediator. We need 
We need Christ. We need the Lamb of God. And, yes. and so I'm going to ask you to write this down. And Jesus cleared the way so you can have direct communication with Abba, Father. And in Psalm 22, verse 1, the Bible says, and it's a messianic psalm. You say, what, is, what do you mean by that? It's a psalm that the Jews teach us and tell us deals with the Messiah. Why? Because it's a psalm that announces the anointed one, the Messiah, the one called of God. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Oh, did you think that was uh, in the Gospels? Sorry, that was Psalm 22, verse 1. But Mark 15, 34 records Jesus saying that from the cross. Well, why would God forsake Jesus if that's his son? For you. God put your sins on him. He's the lamb. Especially, listen, if you're Jewish, you get this big time because there's a sacrificial animal on Yom Kippur that's the day of atonement that your, your sins are transferred to the sacrificed animal. And the Bible calls Jesus the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All of our sin was placed upon the Lamb of God. And in that moment from the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. And immediately those hearing him would have known, this is Psalm 22. This is the, this is the Psalm of the Messiah. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. But I'm a worm. Look this up later. Amazing study. It's tola. I'm a tola. Go look it up. It's a red, crimson worm that comes out of the earth and go, climbs up a tree, faces in the direction of the rising sun. When the sunbeams hit it, it heats up the inside of the worm, the, the grub. It's a grub. And when it does that, it explodes itself to death in the warmth of the sun. And when it does, it leaves a blood red mark on the tree and it sends all of its newborn young out from its dead body into the ground, into the earth. And the Bible says that the Messiah is the Tola. Do you hear, do you know any rumors of one on a cross? A blood-stained cross? Who in his death sent out his children to the ends of the earth? Psalm 22. A reproach of men and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Oh, that sounds like Isaiah 53, doesn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's a sarcasm, church. You know where you find that statement? Matthew 27, verse 42. It happened regarding Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb and made me uh, trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Well, that's interesting. You read about that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Isaiah 7, verse 14, and Isaiah 9, verse 6. Of course, you read about that in the Christmas account. Psalm 22, verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaw. 
That's John 19, 28. That's what was said of Jesus in John 19, verse 28. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You thought that was a New Testament verse, didn't you? That's John 19, 37, but that's Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Listen to this. This is from Matthew Levy, or Matthew Levi, Matthew Levy. Chapter 27, verse 35. Then they crucified Christ and, di- and divided his garments and cast lots, fulfilling that which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, verse 31. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done this. That would be, my friends, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, Mary, you. Did you get that? The oldies got Peter, Paul, and Mary. Romans 3.21, we're almost done. I'm not going to stop now. I can't. We're almost done. Romans 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then we'll end with this argument, but we're not ending, but we'll end with this argument. Verse 26 says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or articulated. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit of God does. The Holy Spirit, listen everybody, mark it down, it's so comforting. The Holy Spirit intercedes and prays for us. That word intercession means this, that he makes petitions, that he speaks on our behalf. What an amazing truth that is. Watch this, this is reality right now. And by the way, the Greek word requires that the prayer, of the, are you listening? Yes. That the prayer of the Spirit of God and the Son of God is offering up because the book of Hebrews tells us that he, Jesus, is praying for us also, that it's a continuous offer of prayer. The Holy Spirit is speaking to the Father for your good on your behalf constantly. See, that's hard for us to fathom because we live in time. We think, that's a lot of time. There's no time where he's at. God is always talking to God the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, about you. He's speaking. Heaven is speaking. Sometimes we miss how heaven speaks. Here's how heaven speaks. We don't often get it this way. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. And Jesus, or the Lord, said to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have what? Prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And that, I personally, remember, I've told you before, I've... If I was Peter, I'd be freaking out. Because Jesus said to him earlier, Peter, Satan has been asking me for you. He wants to, he wants to rip you up. And you, you could almost see Peter like he's mending a net or doing his nails. What was that? What? I told you, Satan has been asking me over and over again if he could tear you in pieces. Oh, isn't that crazy? James, did you hear that? So you told him no, right? (laughs) And Jesus goes, no, I didn't tell him no. Peter, when you come back to us, strengthen your brothers. He's like, what, what, what? 
You mean I'm going to be sifted as wheat? Mm-hmm. And you allowed this? Mm-hmm. Peter, focus on the part I said at the last. When you come back, if Satan comes after you, know this, Christian. It's not for the non-Christian. You're on your own. Christian, if Satan comes after you, or this world comes after you, it's Father filtered. Jesus has already prayed about it. But this is happening in my life. Mm, are you a Christian? Yes. Jesus prayed about that. This is Father knows best moment. He knows what he's doing. And we'll end with this. We groan. The Bible says nature groans. You and I groan. And to mitigate that, we are to be a praying people. Next week, we'll get into heaven's answers. But heaven hears. Heaven is listening. And the things that God has seen in your life, he works for the good. And this is a little personal, but it's fitting, in my opinion. In John 16, verse 5, Jesus said, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. One of the marks of the believer is that we are to be talking always about the wonderful works of God. Did you know on the day of Pentecost, Medes, Parthians, those from Cappadocia and Mesopotamia, Elamites, they were all gathered together at the feast of Pentecost. And when the believers were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in other tongues of this world. And the, those that were there said, how is it that we understand these Galileans? <laughs> these are, to say you're a Galilean is to say exact same equivalency as this. How can I, somebody from Bithynia or a, somebody from Cappadocia, understand this country bumpkin? He's speaking perfectly in my language. The wonderful works of God. Did you know that? When they spoke on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God touched them, they spoke in languages that all those who would normally not be able to understand heard perfectly the wonderful works of God. That's very meaningful to me because let's let's stand. We're done. And with you standing, it's going to remind me to to end. (laughs) This is very personal to me. Mark chapter 7. Mark 7. So a little bit of background on Mark 7. Um, I stuttered all my life. I stuttered all my life. I asked Lisa to marry me. It took me forever to get the words out. For sure, I'm telling you, it was, it was, it's a good thing that she just loved me because I just, uh, you know, will you m- 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 marry me? <laughs> and I, I, was, I stuttered so bad we couldn't even do vows in our wedding. I just, we rigged it with the pastor that he would say, and I'd go, yep. For real, I'm not kidding. And so when I came across this portion of scripture, I, it just caused my heart early on 
in the, in the late 70s to say, God, will you touch my tongue? So this is fun. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, Lebanon today, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment. The word in Greek is a chain was tied around his tongue. Not really, but he was tongue-tied in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on them. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his sides. You know what's precious about that? When you stutter, you want to be away from the multitudes. I know that personally. Stay away from people. They'll just make fun of you. Jesus knows this, so he takes them away from the multitude. And this is fun because he's in the region, having passed through this part of the world. This was the medicinal or the, the act of physicians in that region. Jesus put his fingers in his ears, that, in, in the man's ears, and Jesus spat and touched his tongue. Jesus gra- puts his fingers in the man's ears, then Jesus spits on his fingers, Jesus' fingers, and grabs the guy's tongue. So why would he do, why would he do that? Because that's what the doctors did then. Jesus is communicating to the guy, I'm the great physician. I am going to heal you. Just stand there and watch what happens. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spat upon his, his, touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven. He sighed. The word means to heave the chest. The word means he exaggerated it. Jesus, just like the exaggeration of grabbing your tongue, putting the fingers in your ears, Jesus goes like this. He looks up. Okay? And said to him, watch, the guy can't hear. Epaphrata. That was the man's language. This is Aramaic. He says, be open. Next verse. Immediately, his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Watch. This is great. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. (laughs) All right now, don't tell anybody about this. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. This is what I called, this is called divine disobedience. Um, And they were astonished beyond measure saying, He does all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I end with this. Listen, he healed me. That's why you're 11 minutes over is because I can't shut up about the things of God. But you, but you, those of you who are Christians and followers, he unplugged your ears. You can hear from heaven now. Listen, he touched your tongue. You can speak all about him now. Listen, you've got something to say. Go and tell the world all about his wonderful works in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.